Mark 15, 1 through 15. And the word of God says, And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? But he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that where your spirit is, there is freedom. And Lord, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that your spirit is present among the body of Christ. Your spirit is present in our midst. And so, Lord, I ask what I know that you desire to give, that you, by your grace, would set your people free. Lord, that you would set captives free today. That we would experience the presence and the power and the freedom of Christ in his written word, and in an encounter with the incarnate word by the presence of your spirit. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. Teach us and lead us into freedom. We ask it, Lord, for your glory and the good of your people. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. There is a famous scene at the end of the movie Saving Private Ryan. If you remember the movie, I remember seeing it in the theaters, a band of soldiers had lost their lives attempting to rescue a woman's only son from the war. And as Tom Hanks, at the end of the movie, as Tom Hanks' character is taking his last breaths after suffering a host of, of war and battle and trauma, and now as he's dying, he looks at Private Ryan in the face and he says, earn this. Earn this. And decades after the war, we see Private Ryan escorted by his family to the graveside of Captain John H. Miller, Tom Hanks's character. And he begins to break down in front of his family. And he says to the, the cross on his grave, he says to the deceased hero, I tried to live my life the best that I could. I hope that it was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I've earned what all of you have done for me. 
And then his wife comes beside him and he says to her, tell me I've led a good life. Tell me that I'm a good man. See, decades after the war, after the sacrifices made by those men to save his life and his family's future, Private Ryan is still trying to earn it. And though he looks free, though this looks like a happy ending, we see the truth in his eyes that he is indebted to those fallen soldiers and he is in bondage to the demand to make his life worth the lives that have been substituted for his. I look around this room. I look at men and women from all different walks of life and ages all gathering to this place. And no doubt, some of you understand the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. And some of you don't understand the sacrifice that Jesus has made for you. And I pray that you will. Some of you, though, know what it cost and are trying to earn it. Trying to earn what Jesus has done for you. And my hope today is that we wouldn't just talk about the freedom that we have in Jesus, but we would actually experience that freedom by the power of his Holy Spirit today. Now, there is much that we can say about this text, but what I want to call our attention to today is this man, Barabbas. Because all that happens here is a, it results in this guilty man walking free. And if we are going to feel the full weight of our own freedom, then we need to understand something about Barabbas. Because I'll be honest with you, I think Barabbas gets a bad rap. I think Barabbas is misunderstood. Don't get me wrong. He's not a good guy. Okay, I'm not saying Barabbas is the hero of the story. He's not a good dude. But we have painted him to be something so monstrous that we are unable to do what I think the author of the Gospel of Mark is trying to do. We paint him as something so heinous that we are unwilling to understand his experience. See, Barabbas is commonly depicted as some deranged sociopath. When I think of him or when I see him featured in, in films about Jesus or whatever it is, he's always some like seething villain just foaming at the mouth, some violent criminal, some you know Hannibal Lecter type just unfazed by his crimes and just like out to murder, right? Maybe you have the same image in your mind. Maybe you think of something else equally grotesque. But where do we get that? Where do I get that idea of Barabbas? It's not from Scripture. We don't get that picture from Scripture. When we see Barabbas in this way as being just like the devil himself, then our attention turns not to identify with him to understand his experience, but our attention immediately turns to the stupidity of the crowd. How on earth would they have done such a thing? We turn to the stupidity of the crowd instead of the sacrifice of Jesus. The people 
in this scene, they didn't think they were choosing between a righteous man and the devil himself. That's not the experience of the people. They weren't so blinded by the mob mentality that they called for a serial killer to be released back into society. See, there was something about Barabbas that appealed to the crowd. See, Barabbas fought for freedom. Let's start by looking at his name. Barabbas is a Jewish name. In Hebrew, it means son of the father. Bar, son, Abba, father, son of the father. Now, this is most likely a nickname, and whether or not it is self-designated or given to him by others, his reputation is one that associates with God's people. He's a Jewish man identified by his relationship with the God of Israel. Now, let's look at his crime. Mark says that Barabbas, a Jewish man, was arrested for insurrection. Now we hear the words rebel and insurrection and think of traitors like Judas Iscariot or Benedict Arnold. But remember, Barabbas is an Israelite. And so we should not think of a villain like Darth Vader, we should be thinking of Luke Skywalker, who fought for the rebel alliance rising up against the evil empire. See, apparently Barabbas and his band of rebels took up arms and attacked their Roman overlords. They are rising up against the the, the people who were oppressing them, rising up against the Roman empire. He's fighting for freedom. Now, there are some scholars who would lean away from this idea that that Barabbas is leading a coup, and they prefer to associate him with a band of Jewish uh, bandits in Judea. Uh, There were bandits in the area known to hijack wealthy people, most of whom were Roman or were profiting from the Roman machine. And so... According to this, okay, maybe he's not Luke Skywalker. Maybe he's Robin Hood. I honestly couldn't tell you who, who's more awesome. Right? Like, lightsabers are cool, but they're not real. And, and, and Robin Hood's pretty sweet with a bow. And Robin Hood is also the best Disney movie ever made, hands down. No question about it. Who's better, the the, the young Jedi or the Prince of Thieves? Either way, whether Barabbas, his insurrection, his his banditry was, was geared toward Darth Vader or the Sheriff of Nottingham, Barabbas was rebelling against an empire that oppressed his people. See, Barabbas fought for God's people. And the people probably didn't hate him for it, right? Think about you being in that situation and and, and somebody fighting for your freedom, fighting against the oppression that you experience every day. They certainly weren't afraid of this man running free in their community. 
See, it's important that we see Barabbas in this way because when we see him in this way, he's not some seething villain. In fact, he looks quite like other Jewish heroes who rose up and fought for God's people. He looks like Joshua. He looks like Gideon. He looks like David. He looks like those in the Maccabean revolt who overthrew Antiochus IV Epiphanes after the exile. Right? There's a holiday in honor of those people. It's called Hanukkah. He looks a lot like the heroes that God's people had seen and that God's people were continuing to expect. He looks like the Messiah that the people were anticipating. He's not just some criminal that they substituted for Jesus. He is a substitute Messiah. It's the kind of hero that the people want. And it's proven by their choice to release him instead of Jesus. This is the kind of hero the disciples thought Jesus would be. Think of Peter. Peter knew that he was the Christ, identified him as the Messiah. Jesus said, yes, Peter, and as such, I am going to die on the cross. And Peter says, far be it from you, Lord, never. The Messiah will not die. And so Peter anticipated that Jesus as Messiah would be different than he was. James and John wanted to sit in thrones on Jesus' right and on his left after he had defeated Rome. Judas, when he realized that Jesus was not going to be this kind of Messiah, betrayed him to the religious leaders. See, Barabbas looks like the hero that the people wanted. In fact, if we're honest, Barabbas looks like the kind of hero that we want. Think about it. Jesus preached for people to turn the other cheek. Somebody comes and strikes you on the one cheek, turn to them the other cheek. But we want someone who will strike our oppressors like Barabbas. Jesus brought judgment to God's people in the temple when he drove them out. The money changers, when there was corruption in the temple, judgment came first to the house of God. But we want someone who will bring judgment to our enemies, not us. See, Jesus says that his disciples will pick up their cross, but Barabbas says to pick up arms. One of those sounds significantly more empowering than the other. One leads to your death. One could lead to glory. See, Barabbas is the Messiah-like figure that the people expected. And so the people gladly allowed Jesus to be his substitute on the cross. And historically, we look at this and we look at the people and we throw the people under the bus as though we were somehow so much better than them. And we say, you fools. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you people? How foolish do you have to be? Why would they exchange a man who worked miracles and cast out demons and healed the sick and raised the dead? Why would they trade him for some common ruffian? It's like the kid at, at, at school lunch who trades his pudding cup for the soggy peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Kind of always wanted to meet that kid. So I always had the soggy sandwich. Sorry, mom. It was soggy. 
You know, the apple would press against the bread and the jelly would leak. You know what I'm talking about. They're trading him for someone that can't help them. But we do the exact same thing. We do this all the time. We're the crowd. We're the crowd all the time. When, when we experience trials and sufferings, we also look to false saviors to deliver us. Let me give an example of how this plays out. If life is overwhelming and, and, and times are, are difficult and you're experiencing trials and suffering, we too look to false saviors to rescue us. Some of us look to money to solve our problems. If I just made more money, if I just got a second job, or if I just got a better job, or, or if, if people would give me the, the, the opportunities that I deserve, if, if the, the blessings that I see other people in my life getting, if they only came to me, then I would be okay. If I only had more money, then my problems would be solved. Some look to alcohol and other substances to numb the pain. Others look to government to fix the problems in the world. When life is overwhelming and we can't escape it, when life is overwhelming and there's nothing that we can do about it, we can turn to something to take the edge off, to help us escape the reality of our situation. Amusement can distract us. A new romance, a new toy, a new hobby. Something to entertain us so we don't have to think about it. When life at home begins to get too stressful and we feel inadequate, we can throw ourselves to work or something else that we feel more competent at. These are false saviors, false heroes, false escapes. But none of these things can actually bring us the freedom that we need. It might feel good for a moment, but the problems remain, and so we're only pacifying ourselves. These are just pacifiers so that we don't have to feel the weight of our world. And the danger of this is that it actually keeps us from looking for real freedom. The danger of turning to all of these other things to numb the pain, to distract us from the pain, they actually keep us in that prison longer because it keeps us from looking for real freedom. Church, you need to hear this. The enemy is content to keep you from being miserable if it keeps you from being free. The enemy is perfectly content in keeping you from being miserable if it keeps you from being free. And the truth is that these substitute saviors only lead us into deeper bondage as the very substances that seem to ease the pain now keep you in a new kind of prison of addiction. Doesn't set you free. Your false saviors will not only let you down, they will take you down. They will take you deeper into prison, deeper into the bondage than you ever thought possible. Take you deeper into addiction and into pride. See, like the people in this text, we too trade Jesus for false saviors in our lives because we want freedom on our own terms. We want freedom by taking up arms, not taking up a cross. 
We want freedom on our own terms because we love the idea of a God who loves but doesn't have any standards. Right? The God who just showers blessing and doesn't actually require anything of us. Because the Jesus with blessing in his hands means good things for us. But the Jesus with nails in his hands mean that we too must pick up our cross and follow him. And so we often pursue the imposter Jesuses, the Jesuses of our own making, because it allows us to remain in control. And then we just end up imprisoning ourselves by our control. And so Jesus asks us to give up control and experience real freedom. But it's not always the things outside of ourselves that we look to to solve the problem. See, Barabbas is not only the kind of hero that we look for, he's the kind of hero we want to be. Many of us don't ask for help because of our pride. We think we should be strong enough to free ourselves. Many of you are thinking about the things in your life that keep you pinned down, that keep you, that keep you uh, bound, that, that, that keep you in shame, that keep you in pride, that keep you in, in guilt, that keep you unmotivated. It keeps you from serving. It keeps you from loving. It keeps you from leaving the house. It keeps you from church. It keeps you from the body of Christ. It keeps you from worship. It keeps you from the word of God. It keeps you from prayer. It keeps you from all of these things. That thing that you're thinking of in your mind right now, that if I could only get rid of this, then I would be free. That thing, that thing that you are thinking of right now by the Holy Spirit. We think that if we were strong enough, we think that if we were good enough, we think that if God loved us enough, we could set ourselves free. And so we respond to the troubles in life with the strength of our will and the resources available to us. And then if it doesn't work, we take to social media and we complain about the world and we commiserate with like-minded people in an echo chamber, just reaffirming ourselves that we're right instead of honestly looking at our inadequacies, honestly looking at the fact that it's ourselves that are keeping us in that bondage and that we're powerless. We're powerless to do anything about it. All of this, whether looking to false saviors or looking to ourselves as a false savior, it only drives us further and further and further from the real freedom that Jesus wants for us. Like Private Ryan, it's ignoring the fact that we've already been rescued. We've already been set free. And we're trying to achieve freedom by some other way. Church, the scriptures say in Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Do you believe that? Do you believe when the scriptures say that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed? Do you believe that through faith in Jesus, you currently, where you sit, can experience freedom? This is the promises of scripture. Many will live their whole lives just trying to be good enough. Like Barabbas, we try to be our own savior. But most of us in our most honest moments, we know that we are no savior. We know that we're not good enough. Like Barabbas, we know that we are guilty. We're guilty. We don't live a single day without knowing how, how we've blown it. Our sin follows us. See, sin is like a sunburn. You can hold still 
and pretend it's not there. And then as soon as you move, you feel it. You remember a foolish mistake that you made to not bring the sunscreen. And your sin is like that. You can distract yourself from it. You can try not to think about it. But every little movement, every little thing, it just reminds you that you're not who you want to be. You're not who God made you to be. Something is holding you back. Something is holding you down. Like that sunburn, it's just a reminder. And we can do everything we can to try to create as much space between us and our sin. And we start to feel better about ourselves. Just like a sunburn, you stay out of the sun and it starts to go away. But as any dermatologist will tell you, once you're sunburned, the damage is already done. And as any pastor worth his salt should tell you, any sin, no matter how far in the past or how recent in the past, the damage is already done. Brokenness, separation between us and God has already taken place. It doesn't matter how long you just sit still and avoid that thing. It's there. It's there. So we don't need the pain to go away. Church, we need the bondage to go away. We need the guilt to go away. We need freedom. See, all of us, apart from Jesus, are just like Barabbas. We're guilty. We're guilty. And maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus and you're sick of people telling you that you're guilty, that you're a sinner. I want to tell you, your guilt doesn't need to drive you to shame. Okay, your guilt can drive you to the cross and you can experience freedom. So we're guilty, we're imprisoned by our failed attempts at freedom, awaiting to be sentenced by those who were given power over us. And so let's imagine this for a moment. I want you to imagine this, okay? Imagine that you are Barabbas. You are Barabbas. Whatever you're guilty of, whatever sin and shame you carry with you, imagine that, that you have been condemned by it. And according to the law, you, you have been. The scriptures say that sin deserves death. And so you are in your cell. You are awaiting your fate just like Barabbas. Now imagine what Barabbas hears from the cell. Imagine, imagine what you hear. Transport yourself mentally. Close your eyes if you have to. You're in your cell and, and you hear what Barabbas hears. There's an incredible commotion outside at the palace, just down the street from your cell. And you can hear a single voice speaking, but it's just one voice. You can't make out the words. But you hear a great crowd all of a sudden respond to that voice by shouting your name. Barabbas. Barabbas. And you wonder what's going on. And then the next words that you hear are utterly terrifying. Crucify him. Barabbas. Crucify him. Barabbas. Crucify him. This is the voice of the enemy that many of you hear speaking over you in your sin. Sin has tempted you. It has defeated you. 
and now accuses you and condemns you. And as you sit in your cell, the reality of the situation sinks in as you hear your name. Crucify him. Imagine what's going on in Barabbas' mind at this moment. Having no other context, but just the voices of the crowd shouting through the streets of the city. And then he hears what would be the most terrifying sound imaginable. Footsteps down the corridor of the dungeon and the guard's keys in his door. Then imagine what you would feel if you were Barabbas as you, the door opened and the guard escorted you from your cell and, and down the corridors of the prison. And instead of turning right, to go to your cross, he turns left to go to the exit. The door is open and he puts you outside and says, you're free to go. Why? Confusion washes over you and the guard sees the, the confusion on your face and he says, the man that they call Jesus of Nazareth will hang on your cross instead. You're free to go. Church, we are Barabbas. We're just like him. And Jesus has set you free. Jesus has set you free because Jesus has taken your place in death. The penalty that your sin deserves was received on the cross by Christ so that you could receive the life that his righteousness deserves. Jesus' righteous life pays the debt that you owe to God and you can spend your entire life trying to earn it, trying somehow to pay Jesus back for substituting himself for you on the cross. But this isn't freedom. And Jesus has set you free. So be free. Be free. If someone paid off your credit cards... If someone paid off your student loans, you wouldn't keep making the minimum payments. Jesus didn't give you a loan. He paid your debt free and clear. It no longer has any power over you. He has set you free. Some of you are here and you don't need to be convinced of your guilt. You don't need to be convinced that I've done bad things. You, you look at your life and you know your guilt is ever before you. Some of you don't need to be convinced of your guilt. You need to be convinced of your freedom. You need to be convinced of your freedom. You know that you're guilty and you feel awful about it. You feel like a terrible person, unworthy, unloved, unable to do anything about it. But I would argue that that is not guilt. That is shame. Guilt and shame are not the same thing. Guilt is a declaration that your life has violated a law. Shame is you feeling like a terrible for person for it, feeling unworthy because of it. But you don't have to feel shame because Jesus took your death in your place, removing not only your shame, but eliminating your guilt. That's the thing. The gospel doesn't just say you're guilty, but you don't have to feel shame. The gospel looks at you, Jesus looks at you, and he says, innocent, more than innocent, he says righteous. He didn't just remove your sin, he took your sin. He took your guilt and you were given his righteousness so that the Father looks at you. 
that you are a child of the Father, that you are Barabbas, you are son or daughter of the Father, and looks at you and says, righteous. Your life has been traded. Jesus has traded his life for yours. He is the Messiah who substitutes himself in our place, removing not only our shame, but removing our guilt. Don't let your guilt drive you to shame. Let it drive you to Jesus because he has taken your death in in your place and he has set you free. So then what do we do with our freedom? What do we do from this? How do we go from here? It's interesting that scripture doesn't tell us what Barabbas does with his life after this. I've always wondered. I've always wondered what Barabbas did with his newfound freedom. And I think the scriptures are intentionally silent for a reason. Because as we are invited to identify with Barabbas's guilt, as we are invited to identify with Barabbas's undeserved freedom because of Jesus' overwhelming grace, we are also invited to identify with him in the choice that he gets to make when he's set free. Barabbas has a choice to make, and we have a choice to make. Now, many of us will hear this, hear a message of freedom, and think that we need to go home and make certain changes to our lives in order to experience that freedom. Maybe you're thinking, you're like, Yes, let me go so I can experience freedom. You're thinking you need to go home and okay, all of these things, now I need to get rid of these things because Jesus has set me free, so I need to get rid of these things so that I can be free. But that's not what Jesus asks of you today. What? Jesus has set you free. So go and live free. Go and be free. There are probably some changes that all of us need to make. But the reason we can make these changes is because Jesus has set us free from the power of the things that bind us to our sin. This is a massive difference. There is a massive difference between I need to clean up my life so that I can be free. That is the lie that that self-righteous religion tells us. Clean up your life then you can come to Jesus. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, your life is a mess, but I've set you free. The scripture, the gospel does not say, clean up your life and then you can be free. It says you have been set free. Therefore, live free from the things that hold you captive. So if there are changes that need to be made in your life, you don't make them so that you can experience the grace of the gospel. You have experienced the grace of the gospel through faith if you have put your trust in Jesus. So now you can go home and don't need to live by those things anymore. Don't need to run to those things for comfort anymore. Don't need to run to the false saviors that only disappoint and and condemn. You can go home and live in freedom right now by believing that Jesus Christ has taken your place in death, has taken your guilt upon himself, and has set you free. The reason you can live, leave this place and live in freedom is not because Jesus empowers you to be your own hero. It's because through faith, he has set you free, period. And so turn to Jesus and experience freedom from whatever it is. You're feeling guilty by the power of the Holy Spirit, free from guilt. You're feeling shame 
the Holy Spirit washes upon you and washes that shame away. If you're feeling paralyzed by fear, through faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and there is no fear in the presence of God. Freedom from addiction, freedom from greed, freedom from pride. Fill in the blank. What is it? What do you want freedom from? In Christ, you have been set free from sin, from Satan, from death itself. There is nothing holding you captive that Jesus doesn't free you from. Some of you have known Jesus for a long time. And you come into church and you're reminded of the gospel. Today, be reminded that you have been set free. You've known Jesus for a long time, but you have felt trapped in your sin, in your decisions, in your life choices. Today, right now, you can experience freedom by putting your faith in Jesus, by putting your trust in Jesus Christ. Some of you have never known Jesus. You've never trusted what he's done for you on the cross. You've never put your faith in the fact that your sin is forgiven in his death and resurrection. And you have an option today. You can continue to do the same things that you've been doing your whole life, trying to escape the pain, trying to escape the oppression, trying to escape the difficulty of the world, trying to make your life better, trying to make yourself worthy, trying to make yourself good enough so that you can live in freedom. And I would just ask, how's that going for you? You can go back to that or you can put your trust in Jesus today and experience right here in your seat the freedom that Jesus gives. And you can use that freedom instead of running from God, to run to him in gratitude, in worship and service, not as repayment, but as joy, free, unhindered joy and gratitude. Church, this is true freedom. This is what Jesus calls to us to, and this is what Jesus has accomplished for us. So let's praise him together for it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you did not want to count our sin against us. And so you sent your son to die on the cross in our place so that we could be set free, so that we could be the men and women that you made us to be operating in complete freedom and union and intimacy with you. And so now we invite the Holy Spirit, not that you were absent, but we invite you to manifest yourself today, God, in freedom. Let freedom wash over your people as we respond in worship, as we respond in joy, as we respond in song and in prayer and in communion. Holy Spirit, bring the freedom that Jesus has wrought for us on the cross. And may we use our freedom to tell this world just how beautiful you are. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus and all God's people said, amen.